You're listening to the Can Dare Podcast, your sidekick in the quest for knowledge, power, and entertainment. So strap yourselves in and prepare for victory! And welcome to another episode of Can Dare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And this is a special episode. Boy, do we welcome some, some talent to the show this week. Uh, you probably know our guests from shows like Banshee, Billions, most definitely knowing from The Sopranos as uh, Agent Dwight Harris. But uh, you also know him as Satan. In the Adult Swim show, <laughs> your pretty face is going to hell, which has a fourth season premiering on May 3rd, Friday, May 3rd at midnight. So be sure to set your DVRs. But man, this was a fun freaking conversation. This guy knows his craft. Yeah, he really does. knows his craft. And it makes me as horrible as it is to say I, we've never seen The Sopranos here. And that's uh, probably what he's best known for. But the conversation was still amazing anyway, and now we have reason to go really watch this and watch it in a hurry. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> more will be explained in the episode as we go. But before we do all that, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And uh, if you like what we're doing, want to support the show, head over to Patreon.com forward slash CandairPod, where you can donate at least $5 a month, get you access uh, to our Patreon pod, which we post once a month and have close to, what, 20 episodes on there now. So mm-hmm. a whole catalog to buy into for $5, people. Five bucks, Five come on. measly dollars. $5 is going to keep you from 15 hours of entertainment? $5 won't even feed you for... Right. Two days, this will give you it. Maybe if you're a value menu kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's quit talking about the value (laughs) menus and just cut right over to our interview with Matt Servito. Our next guest on the show today, you definitely know from The Sopranos, is Agent Dwight Harris, and you know him as Satan on Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, which has season four premiering uh, May 3rd at midnight on Adult Swim. We welcome Matt Servito. Matt, thank you so much for being here, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. And, you know, it's I'm thrilled to welcome Satan to the show. You know, we've had so many different characters, but no one even close to Satan. So what an honor it is. I, 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 I think you've probably had a lot of my followers on that you just didn't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, you, you've gone straight to the top now. Now, he's got all their souls with him there. the tweets. Yeah. There we go. There we go. But, um, you know, joking aside, it is awesome to have such a uh, diverse actor, I suppose, come on the show. You know, looking at your IMDb, you have so many ranges. I mean, you've gone from soap operas to like shows like Sex and the City, Grey's Anatomy, shows on Adult Swim, of course, to, you know, serious dramas like Sopranos and Banshee. Um, I imagine you have fans from all walks of life. Um, yeah, I, you know, it really is. I've been very, very uh, lucky to uh, have a, a long and varied career. And yeah, the uh, my kids are highly entertained because there's such a, uh, a, a there's generational, you know, uh, shift. But th- there is just, you know, if we're in New York City, and we're on the subway. I'm just as likely to be recognized as the Campbell soup chef, which I was for five years on their commercials, oh, wow. uh, as I will for Banshee or for being Satan. So it is, uh, <laughs> it's always highly entertaining to see, you know, what they're going to know me from. And every time I try to guess, cause I see like a sweet old lady and I'll be like, Oh, or you must probably saw me on law and order or, you know, you've seen me on commercials and she's like, Oh hell no. I love that Banshee. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm done guessing the fans. I, I can't, I can't, you know, figure out what they watch, but uh, yeah. And it's fun because the, 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 the streaming world, uh, you know, the, the, you know, things have a longer shelf life, but I mean, Sopranos oh, yeah. was sort of, um, you know, I wouldn't say gone, but definitely off of people's radar. And then, you know, it, it's come back in such a huge way in the last six months to a year with uh, the 20th anniversary and people being able to stream it. So now I've got this like generation of uh, younger, I call them kids, but, you know, just younger people saying, oh, my God, it was my parents' favorite show. I was so young. I wasn't allowed to watch it. And my friends and all we binge watched. We just loved it. And, you know, so 
uh, it's great. It's great because now, you know, things that you did in your career that – except if you've done bad, it's great for things like Sopranos. But then you do something called the, the Versace murder, uh, which is like the worst <laughs> thing I've ever done. Um, and uh, it's and no no relation to the one that was just out about a year ago. That's uh, what I was, I was wondering. Was thinking, yeah, that's yeah, what I thought. That's, that's, no, no. This was what this is the like producer's equivalent of ambulance chasing. We we literally were down in Miami shooting a a movie called The Versace Murder. I don't even know if Gianni Versace was in the ground yet. Um, oh, wow. it, it, this was so fast, like somebody wrote the script. And I, I'm not kidding when I say I think we were down in Miami shooting less than six months after he was killed. So it, and it just was like a straight to video thing that never saw the light of day. In fact, I think it only runs like dubbed in Spanish. Like, you know, it runs oh every once in a while. So we watching like Telemundo at four in the morning. Like, dude, is this you? Because <laughs> my hair died, you know, uh, uh, peroxide blind. It's just terrible. Anyways. So, yes, the uh, the Internet will prolong the good and the bad. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's uh, such a great way of watching television. Obviously, I'm not stating anything prolific here, but just thinking it back in the day where if you didn't have the VCR, you know, hit record at that right time, then you just had to wait for it to air again. So I don't know. I, I just recently cut our cable. I was telling these guys about it before the show, and I feel free. I feel free, Matt. No, it's funny, though. We were talking about it. It's kind of it's like somebody blew up cable, but it's all reassembling on uh streaming and then eventually because like we were talking about all the different fee fees for the different streaming channels and i said right eventually we will all just pay one streaming fee like 60 bucks and you'll get all of them you'll get netflix you'll get hulu you'll go to amazon and i'm like well so then aren't we basically back to cable tv then we're just yeah, pretty much back yeah. paying a monthly fee to get all of these quote channels that will have movies and original programming. So in a weird way, we, we're just, you know, reinventing the wheel. I mean, I, I have a feeling that we're, we're just going to circle back. I think you're right. Right now, I think it's a pretty good time because you can grab a lot of stuff without having to pay for it. But I think uh, I think a lot of things, you know, eventually, because the revenue streams have to be there as an actor who's been in a union for 30 years, you know, um, and, and producers. I mean, people need to make money. So it's my... I, I, when people are like, oh my god, I, I no, I don't pay for anything, and I'm like, see, that's the problem. <laughs> Musicians, actors, writers, artists, everybody needs to get paid for their work, and so it's it's a very difficult time because people can't quite figure out how to monetize all this stuff. You know, right. um, I definitely the, the cutting of the cable though. You are, you know, among you know my friends and family, not alone. I mean, definitely a lot of friends have, uh, <laughs> and even stuff I'm on. I'm like, dude, I just. I'm really going to watch. What's it called? The the Sopranos? I'm going to watch. <laughs> you know, I'm going to I'm going to get my cable on and watch that, you know, so it's it's crazy how hard a decision that was to make. You know, it's like when cell phones were coming out, the idea of not having a landline anymore scared the hell out of mm -hmm. me. And it was yeah. kind of the same way with uh, the cable. But now that I've done it, it's just like. I feel so free and liberated, <laughs> but you know, you're absolutely right. It's, it is coming full circle. And you know, once they do dominate the, the television world, commercials are just going to come flooding right back. I mean, don't yep, you yep. imagine why wouldn't yeah. they? So anyway, we're not here to debate television, are we? <laughs> but, it's a, but it's a constant conversation. I mean, it, it really, really is. My, I mean, it really is. These are, you know, the, everything was kind of the same for decades, and the last five to ten years has just been. It's exciting because I think there's never been. Uh, it's a goal. It's a second golden age of television. I've been lucky to be a participant because I've just been lucky to be on a lot of these great shows. And there's so much, you know, I have so many friends on so many good shows that at least we all let each other off the hook. I ran into friends that have won Emmys, and I'm like, oh, dude, I'm gonna get to your show. Like, just stop. You've got three kids. Don't worry about it. And as I said, none of this, these shows are going anywhere. You can, you know, you can stream. I didn't get to Breaking Bad till it was well over. You yeah, know, same that's here. the same. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I've got to know, though, someone as diverse as yourself. How does your uh, acting career start? What inspired you to become an actor? Wow. Um, you know, I grew up in Detroit uh, and not a town that ne necessarily uh, you're thinking um a career uh, in the sh in show business because it, right. it was uh, lived. I grew up on the east side of the city, very much a blue collar part of town. A lot of cops, firemen, guys that worked at the auto plants, 
um, tool and die kind of guys and, and uh, including my family members. So I, I wasn't really thinking that far out of the box. I definitely did think I was just not going to want to work said <laughs> after all the family members that have worked for car companies. I'm like, all right, let me just say I'm not working for a car company. Yeah. Um, I may be a garbage <laughs> man, but I'm not working for a car company. So um, uh, somewhere in high school, um, I did a musical, you know, and it was just that kind of like perfect mix of like uh, uh, cast. And we did West Side Story and it was the only musical I knew. In fact, I came home and I said to my dad, you know, that they're doing West Side Story at school. And he's like, oh, you should audition. You know, the movie we've watched it. And I said, yeah, but I thought it was a, a movie. And he goes, well, it was a Broadway show first. I'm like, oh, OK. And. You know, uh, and somebody always said like it was a great way to meet girls was to be to be in the play. So, <laughs> oh yeah, say I'm still in this business to meet girls. So even though I'm married many <laughs> years, even my wife is in awe of the women I get to work with. Um, I mean, Banshee, good, good lord, those were some just amazingly talented, beautiful, uh, funny women that I got to work with. So it doesn't it doesn't end. So. Um, but yeah, and so that's what I did. And I did one play and I did a few of them, but I was still thinking, I don't know, maybe I'll study English or journalism, uh, maybe communications when I get to college. And, you know, just one of those great teachers that pulls you aside and says, you know, I think you could do this for a living and convinces me to audition for uh, a theater. And I got it back. But that still had me living in Detroit. And I thought, well, fine, I'll get a degree in, you know, in theater, but I'll still probably do something else. And I, I was in a car accident um, my senior year in high school, got some, some money, a small amount of money in a settlement. And I took it and went and studied in England for a semester and wow. uh, studied theater. And that's when I fell in love with the idea of being an actor. Um, I mean, the English theater, the English actors, I would, you know, just grew up seeing them in movies. And uh, I, I think I sort of fell, <laughs> fell in love with the idea of being an English actor. Um, which uh, would have meant staying in England. But I came back and decided, all right, this is a career choice, but I really got to get to Chicago, New York, or L.A. And uh, I just wrote a very small list of places I thought would be worth uh, auditioning for, and Juilliard was one of them. And I figured, go big or go home. Right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I auditioned for Juilliard, got in. And so after a couple of years of undergrad, I, I – uh, jumped into Juilliard in 1985, and uh, things have never been the same. And I would imagine, uh, you know, obviously this is where you got uh, all your training to do all these different uh, types of roles out there, but I'm, I'm always curious to, you know, know somebody's method with as diverse as you are, how do you prepare for a role? You know, whether it be Satan or a cop. You know, it's 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 different. It's always different I, when you yeah when you're at school. You're, we, they train us for theater, and with theater, you've got weeks and months of preparation. Um, so you really can do all the kind of cliche actor stuff of really getting in depth and really studying the accent and really studying the way they walk and what their mindset is, the psychology of of a Hamlet or of you know uh, uh, Arthur Miller's uh, you know Death of a Salesman, Willie Loman. You can spend time. Uh, you know, exploring the characters with television and film, which has been a lot of my career, even though I always go back to the stage, um, television film is very quick. And the only time you really get to do it is when you have a long term character. You know, very often when you're thrown onto a procedural drama to play a one off, you know, you're just like you are the, the, the lead story. You're the killer of, of the, 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 you know, one of the characters or you are, um, you know, the, the, the protagonist. To, to one of the lead characters on the show. Um, it, so we, but my process is, like I said, it, it usually is just jump in and then let things kind of come to me a little bit. And that's kind of uh, how it's been with both uh, things like Sopranos, where they, on television, they begin to write into who you are a little bit because they don't necessarily want you to stretch too far because, you know, it's television and film. You don't get to, you know, unless you're, uh, Daniel Day Lewis or Gary Oldman, you don't get to kind of really, really transform. Um, a lot of it is just subtle, subtle little, you know, because somebody was talking to me about all the cops I've played, and they're like, you know, are they all kind of cut from the same cloth? And I said, no. I said, because I grew up a lot, around a lot of cops and firemen, my grandfather was a fireman, um, I said, I, I really know a lot of different types. There's some that it's just a job, there's some that have a, a hero complex, there's some that, um, 
are very, uh, you know, strict about the job. Some of them that uh, got away with murder, literally, like we're, you know, on the take and doing all sorts of uh, nefarious things. So I said, you know, each a little bit of all those guys kind of goes into every one of these characters that I play. And I said, I like to think that there's a differentiation and hopefully the writing, uh, you know, I also I respect writers so much. I always try to live up to what the writers had in mind. Some people, the writers have to kind of tacked right and left based on what somebody else is doing. I mean, you know, you're going to, if Al Pacino's going to play it, you're going to kind of write into what Al's going to do. Um, I tend to go to the writers and say, am I kind of on track? Am I in the ballpark of what you wrote, what you had in mind when you created this character? And, you know, is there anything, any, you know, and, and also what I, I always say when I do comedies, I try to find the seriousness in the comedy. When I do uh, a drama, I always try to find the laughs. Uh, that That is just my tendency. So, I've been lucky, again, that I've had writers that have written in towards that. When I did Banshee, I played this kind of very serious uh, uh, cop, and they eventually found this wonderful dry wit uh, through trial and error, so that by the end, I was great, because I really was the, the comic relief on the show. You know, he, he seemed to be the one that was always sort of th speaking what the audience was thinking. And uh, so I had a blast with that. So it's great. I mean, that kind of stuff where you begin to get writers like even just um, I've been watch I've been recurring on billions and the writers on billions are just great. And I, this is their, their their fourth season is just starting to air right now. And my character just turned up last week. I've been recurring for the last couple of years, just you know, one or two episodes a season. But this season, a little bit more to chew on. And uh, it's great because uh, the, the writers, you know, this season for all of these characters on Billions, it's their best season writing wise. I mean, by a fourth season, the writers know the characters, the audience knows the characters. You just put them in a room and they, these scenes kind of write themselves. And it, it's just so much fun to watch. So much fun to watch. So I know that's a very long winded answer to uh, process, but uh, hanging on it, your every word, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the process is so interesting, especially from the outside looking in, because, you know, the, you're absolutely right. I would have never thought about that. You know, if you're going to get a one time rolls of pizza, man, you're not going to go deliver pizza for a month preparing for that. What's know? my motivation as being a well, pizza man? Yeah, and, you know, honestly, like we did that. You do, and, and, and the thing is, I, I've always said, I mean, as much as I, I kid about Daniel Day-Lewis, it's like some of my favorite actors who I've worked with can absolutely turn it on and off. Edie Falco, who played Carmela on, on The Sopranos. I mean, amazing. She's just one of my favorite actresses. Uh, and she, she could literally be you know, talking to you, telling you a funny story or a dirty joke, you know, it'd be like, Edie, we're ready. She'd be like, hold on. She'd go out, do this incredible scene with Jimmy and come back and finish the joke. And you're just like, and meanwhile, Daniel Day-Lewis was, was Abraham Lincoln for six months right, right. in Virginia, you know, and for, I had friends that were in the movie with him and, you know, you called him Abraham. I mean, you know, or President Lincoln, I mean, for six months. Wow. Um, you know, so, and I, and I said, as much as I love that, I, and I really do, and I respect that process, I don't know if it comes out in the wash. I don't know if the audience sees a difference in the end uh, when they watch a performance. I think, you know, you know really, it, 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 it's really what helps you and what makes you feel good. And, that, and to Daniel Day-Lewis's credit, he's always said, it's just the way I work. It's my thing. And, and like I said, I respect everybody's, you know, what gets them there. Um, but I, I love when people just acknowledge, I guess, as, as if I had a school of acting that I like, it's let's just acknowledge that this is one big game of pretend, you know, that you're truly not General Patton. You are playing General Patton in a movie about World War II. And, you know, there are people out there doing real things every day that resonate and that that. Um, you know, because we always like to say, well, look, we're not curing cancer here. We're making a, a movie for Disney. And it's like, yeah, you know, because there are people out there trying to cure cancer and help children uh, with disabilities and things like that. So it's, you know, I, when people take it, I think you have to take acting incredibly serious and not serious at all. And that's I, 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 I spend my entire career kind of riding a fine line between, you know, um, being taking everything I'm doing, you know, like it's Shakespeare, even when I'm doing a commercial for Campbell's Soup, uh, I treat it with the same respect, but then also just in the middle of shooting that commercial being like, oh my God, I can't believe this is what I do for a living. I basically play, this is ridiculous, <laughs> you know, and, and what might plainly believe. Yeah. Well, why my children have figured out what I do. So like the, the secret's out, it's like, oh, you just, you just pretend for a living. I'm like, yep. <laughs> daddy's a big pretender. 
So playing on to that a little bit, um, I was when I was doing some research, I saw you did some voice acting for video games, correct? For yeah. Mafia. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. How does that, as an actor, how difficult was that for you? Because you don't have any anybody to play off of. I mean, were you just in a soundstage or? Yeah, those are those are really a lot of work for not a lot of money, to be honest. Um, because <laughs> those games make a fortune. I mean, they they truly right. are. Uh, you know, where a lot of the inter- people's entertainment dollars go now. And, um, you know, we as actors just do not, unless you are, um, you know, the face of Grand Theft Auto and you're a character they've brought back for a few generations of the game, um, you know, it's, it's a, you destroy your voice because you spend days, days in every a booth screaming, yelling, yelling many different options um, for them to use. Because, like, when I did Mafia, I was the getaway car driver, Sam. So basically, I had to scream or and a lot of because we were in a getaway car seemed to always be screaming because it was these old cars that were driving around old time New York with people shooting Tommy guns. And, and, and uh, you know, I'd be like, turn right, turn left. You know, which way should I go? Why are we going this way? And you have to. So it, depending what the player playing the game does, you have to have some like 10 different comments for each little movement of the car. And so it's just insane. The acting goes right out the window. You by the end, you're just blurting lines and and hundreds of them to just kind of just kind of stay in character and just keep blurting options 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 okay now he goes right now we're right near the bank he's cut they're going to come up is the money there are the other people there you have to give the options and so um yeah i mean doing that when you just come out of that uh again with <laughs> you get the check you're like man my vocal cords were bleeding <laughs> for <laughs> and i know the company's worth billions and, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy my family dinner for this check, you know, but it was a blast. Because, I mean, Pizza's on dad tonight, huh? Yeah. I mean, it, Star Wars was the same thing. I mean, it was just, like, amazing because that game, when it came out, I think the New York Times said it was the most expensive piece of entertainment ever made because they took them 10 years to make it. They spent more money than they did on the movies. Um, like, I spent, like, a billion dollars making uh, – that was called uh, – oh, my gosh. The Old Republic or Knights of the Old Republic? Oh, yes. The Old Republic. And it was amazing because basically – and so I did a, a number of voices, dozens of voices. And I remember saying to the producer, like, I'm running out of voices for some of these characters. And he goes, don't worry about it. You can repeat. And I said, but then won't they think that's the same character? He goes, oh, my God. You could play this game for like years and never be in the same part of the galaxy. You know, I challenge anybody because he literally had a cast of like, I don't know, 50,000, 100,000 characters in that game. There was so – you could go to – you could go to different worlds and there'd be all kinds of different characters. So, you know, his point was I challenge anybody playing this game to ever find one voice that even sounds remotely like the other because I'm going to scatter your voice all over the galaxy. I was <laughs> like, that's awesome. That you is know? awesome. Yeah. And again, it's great for, you know, my kids are now into Fortnite and things like that. But my sister's kids were young when I did those games. So, you know, my, my the, the cool uncle uh, quotient went through the roof when I started <laughs> doing voicing some games. Um, and I, I ha- and like I said, half the re- you don't do them to get rich. You do them because they're a blast. You know, they really are just sort of like to have friends playing games with your voice on is a lot of fun. That would be amazing. I've always wanted to do stuff mm-hmm. like that. I've done some little things here and there, but nothing like that. That'd be cool, man. That'd be really yeah. cool. I've got to touch on The Sopranos a little bit, and I'm embarrassed to say that I am one of those uh, people that have not seen it yet, so I do apologize for that. But you know what? We were just talking about the streaming service. I do have it in my queue. It is coming up. I do. But, you know, you don't have to have seen it to know the impact it's had on television. You know, oh, yeah. it revolutionized the way uh, TV's kind of made, you know. I mean, I don't think we'd have Breaking Bad by any means if there was no Sopranos to come before mm-hmm. it. Um, but I was just very curious. I'd heard you, uh, I think I had heard you right, say on another interview that you only thought your role as Dwight Harris was going to be a one-time appearance. And then it, like, ended up being, you know, throughout the whole series. Yeah, I initially uh, auditioned to play Father Phil, who was the priest in season one, who like kind of was had his moment with Carmela um, and and uh, didn't get the part. Didn't know what the show was. I remember I read the script that I was I didn't quite get. I'm like, OK, it's a mob show, um, you know, just seemed like Goodfellas, the TV show. And so I didn't get the priest. Then the show went into production for season one. And uh, early on, they called. Yeah, they called me in. Uh, for this FBI agent, it was a one-off. It was going to be one episode playing Agent Harris. Actually, I went in for a different. I went in for Agent Grasso, 
who was an Italian FBI agent who was kind of going at Tony in this episode. I think it's around seven or eight in the first season. The FBI raids Tony's house, and this one Italian agent starts kind of swearing at Tony in Italian, like, you're, you know, you, you make our people look bad, and they're going back and forth. Um, and I really wanted this role to look great on, on the page, and uh, I read for it. They're like, yeah, would you come back tomorrow and read Agent Harris? And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, fine, whatever. Um, so I came back the next day, read Agent Harris, got that, and uh, <laughs> so lucky. So lucky I didn't get the priest because he was gone by the end of season one. Um, <laughs> and, and so and, and Agent Grasso ended up being played by a friend of mine, but a much more minor character. I mean, he did a handful of episodes over the entire run of the series, but did eventually kind of disappear. But Agent Harris just kind of became the face of the feds on the show. Um, there was a side story with uh, – uh, an actor, Skip, Skip Lapari, I think is his name. Skip did, um, he was the, the one that was uh, in season two chasing Big Pussy. And that was a side FBI storyline, not involved with Agent Harris. Harris was always singularly focused on Tony. Um, but that whole FBI storyline with Big Pussy, which eventually got him killed off the show, with, well, spoiler alert. Nice. Um, <laughs> Thanks a lot, yeah, man. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, for those whose Q is 20 years old. Um, <laughs> God. At least, though, at least you had you had the decency, which is what most people do that have never said Sopranos. They whisper it. The, the way people are now, like, screaming from the top of the mountains that they've never seen Game of Thrones. As I, I just was reading an article today, it's like, the new I'm a vegan is I've never watched Game of Thrones. Like, people kind of have this, like, yeah, you know, that's right. I've never seen Game of Thrones. I'm the one. You know, it's like, no, man, there's millions of you, and we don't care. Those are those yeah. yeah. the show. We don't care. But I got to tell you, when people tell me they've never seen Sopranos, they whisper it. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> out of respect, it's like saying I didn't go to my mother's funeral. I mean, it's like yeah. you've never seen this. You get out of here. Um, Maybe but, I'll just uh, have to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not listening to this show. These guys never watch Sopranos. Yeah. I know. Isn't it crazy to think that, like, I guess I, I, I keep forgetting, like, it's because people can stream, anything's a spoiler alert at this point i could be talking about a show that's 10 years old and it's like yeah i guess if you've never seen the show in my mind many of these shows brotherhood sopranos banshee like they're gone it's like no they're sitting in somebody's queue you know yeah always um, waiting to premiere mm -hmm. yeah 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 so anyways that's uh that's really and so it was it was supposed to be a one-off i ended up doing a few episodes every season and then really by the last few seasons uh they flipped me over, made me a series regular, uh, and I, I really became, you know, a part of the fabric of the show, which was a great way to end. I mean, by the end, I was a, 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 you know, a contracted cast member going to the Emmy Awards with them, and I have a SAG award on my mantle from uh, the last season. So it's just, you know, it, I really kind of rode that that line. I mean, I remember so many times other work would come along, and my agent would be like. You know, yeah, you got that agent, uh, you got that, you know, thing on Sopranos, but look, we've got a great role over here or something that's going to conflict with Sopranos. I'm like, we do not, you know, I am, I, I could be at the end of my career. That's going to be the feather in my cap. I said, so whatever you want to suggest to me, don't ever suggest I leave the Sopranos because yeah. I just, you know, as much as I, I know I'm not like a huge part, a huge part of the show, but as I, as time went on, you know, the character became integral and actually became one of the only people that Tony could trust on the show. Right. Um, so again, it was, uh, it was just, you know, and so that, that just, it's incredible to me that what was going to be one episode one day turned into being a part of, and also on a show that I didn't think was going to succeed. I mean, I went to the rap party at the end of season one before anything's even been on the air. I was kind of saying goodbye to everybody. Not because I didn't think my character was coming back, but because I just didn't think the show was going to fly. I thought sure. I like it, which means it's probably going to die a quick death. Everything I like doesn't last. I always feel because it's, I have, my tastes are a little different. Um, I'm not, a, you know, I, I haven't watched a lot of, uh, you know, easily digestible network television. So I've always liked the stuff that's a little offbeat. I thought The Sopranos was kind of quirky offbeat. I liked it, but I thought I don't think there's a mass market for it. Um, but man, um, you know, that's also why I don't have any stock in Apple because what the hell do I know? <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, yeah. And so it, it just is amazing to me that not only did I survive at the show, not only did it survive, it just became what it became. And. Um, I just was saying to somebody recently, you know, when you, I, I'm a big sports guy. And when you see people being interviewed, Hey, you just won the world series. How do you feel? And it's like, I have no idea. I mean, I feel great, 
But you know, ask me when I've been retired for 15 years how it won't, how it felt to win a World Series. And I'm even though I'm not retired and not even close, but I mean these things as they get into the distance, you begin to realize like, wow. And I'm I'm finally getting perspective on that show. And um, you know, I just was rewatching it a bit recently when, uh, like everyone else was, when the anniversary was happening. And I just looked. I said to my wife, turned to my wife, I said I would still put so much of this show up against anything that's on television right now, just for its authenticity, its veracity, its, its uh, you know, um, it, it takes you and puts you in a world that you almost feel like a documentary, like you are inside the head, the world of the lives of these people in such an idiosyncratic sort of place. And I not, and I now live in that place. I live in Jersey. I'm I'm in the heart of Sopranos land now. I lived in New York City for 25 years and with three kids we finally tripped the light fantastic and went over the Hudson River and we're out in Jersey now and man, I am definitely in it and you know what what felt like a oh, look at these crazy characters on this show. Let me tell you, you get out to Jersey, they're everywhere. You know, on, on a on a Sunday afternoon and you're looking over your fence, you're like, uh, that guy looks like he could be in the mob and that guy <laughs> looks like he's in the mob. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and these are my people. I can say it cuz, you know, it's true. Sure, sure. I'm so excited to watch the show. Um, you know, and I'm not bullshitting you at all saying this or kissing your ass. I mean, like I just said, we cut the cable. I need to vest into a new series, and I do have that on my list. But I'm so excited for the uh, last episode because, you know, there's so much, uh, I guess, drama around the last episode. A lot of people had a lot of mixed uh, opinions of it. And again, yeah. even though I wasn't uh, watching it as it came out, I definitely heard, you know, the uproar about it. And I want to see it. I heard it's very... Um, just kind of open to the viewer's perception. That's what I've heard. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because it's, it's not even a spoiler alert because truly there's nothing we're going to say that you're going to get there and be like, wait a minute, don't tell me, don't tell me, because there's nothing there there. I mean, it, really, that sure. is what the ending, why the ending is so um, um, controversial is because there is every the list of possible endings and what everybody wanted to see. Same thing, it's what's happening with Game of Thrones. I mean, everybody's got a Rolodex of ideas of what they think could, how the show could end. Um, you're never going to satisfy all of them. And I think David just said, you know what, rather than try to please anybody, I'll only please myself. And he did what he wanted to do, which was this very sort of enigmatic ending. Um, I, I say it's great art only because, you know, great art is stuff we talk about. We can, you know, you can see a great play that was written 50 to 100 years ago, and it, it still resonates. You can see, you know, look at a painting that was done in the 19th century uh, or a Bosch painting from hundreds of years ago, and it's still, you look at it and you're like, wow, I can look at a museum and just stare at that painting all day long. It just really speaks to me. And that, I said, here we are, 12 years after the show has ended, and I still have these in-depth, passionate discussions with fans about the ending. People, the, the, the first six months to a year after the show ended, I, I would get accosted. I mean, I'd be riding the subway, and like across the subway car, you know, here comes somebody like, wait, you, you were on the show. What the hell was that ending? What is this? I, I, I thought my cable went out. I don't even, you know, and I'm sitting there. I, I said, we've all, all of us, the whole cast have been apologizing for David's editing choices uh, for 12 years. And meanwhile, David moved to the south of France <laughs> he, like every five years, David does an interview and he still kind of leaves it, you know, up to the, the viewer as to what the hell it really was. Every once in a while, he tips one way or the other. I think most recently during the anniversary, he tipped, I think, towards the idea that Tony was gone. Um, but again, you know, I've, I've, I've always felt that he was gone. But I said, it doesn't really matter what you think, because the ending is just the ending. Nothing is definitive. There is nothing definitive in it. It is exactly what you you think it is. Whatever that moment is, it's what you it's what you want it to be. And whenever I would talk to people about other possible endings, which was Tony, you know, believe me, I would have loved an Agent Harris arresting Tony, carrying him out in the handcuffs, and to show, you know, he goes off to jail. And um, there was also, you know, the idea, yeah, we he, we see him get whacked. And is there anything more painful than seeing? you know, the the lead of a show, like just sitting there bleeding out, this guy we've been following for seven seasons, you know, painful. We'd be in two, the whole audience right. would be in tears. So I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what, you know, I also, I always said the best ending would have been killing Tony off in episode two of the last season and then watching Edie, Carmela, have to be a mob widow, a woman who's never really kind of worked an honest day in her life and her and his spoiled, rich, suburban New Jersey kids have to face 
the reality that the money, the gravy trains, the money's gone. Mm. They're 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 ostracized by their entire culture, their entire family, both physical family and the mob family, and they've got to start over. And and I, I that to me, just watching a, this, you know, Carmela struggle without Tony and sort of rebuild her life. Um, I always love that idea just because I think Edie would have been amazing. Um, and it would have just shocked the audience because two episodes in, it's like, wait a minute, we've been waiting for this last episode. What are they going to do? It's like, no, he's already gone. The rest of the season's a whole other thing, you know? So yeah, that would have been very Game of Thrones way before Game of Thrones. <laughs> Definitely. That would have been some uh, good show. Yeah. He'd have been straight lost that whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that would have been a good watch. I'm so yeah. excited to watch this. I'm so excited. I tell you, it is. It's. It's. Uh, yeah. I mean, we should. Uh, we should talk again after you watch it. We'll rehash. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of. There's, there's so many moments I'm kind of holding out talking about, but. Uh, <laughs> I'll take yeah. you up on that because I have two uh, very good friends who are Sopranos buffs. I told them uh, last week I was going to be talking to you, and boy, they sat me down at the computer and they started pulling up all your parts on YouTube. It was. It was awesome. So they. That'd be awesome. I would love to do that sometime. Yeah. We got to touch on your pretty face is going to hell now. This yes. is such a fun show. Adore this show. Uh, just recently found on Adult Swim. Can't wait for this new season to come out again, happening on May 3rd at midnight. How did you come to play Satan, Matt? Uh, you know, that was just, uh, I wish there was a better story. That was strictly just an audition. They were seeing, you know, they didn't really know what Satan was going to be. So they were auditioning all types of people. Um, and so the room, you know, the waiting room, when I went in for this thing, and also I have to be honest, I knew very little about adult swim. Um, and I, you know, <laughs> knew even, yeah, I mean, it just, I was not the demo. I was definitely older at the time. And, um, the two guys that were creating your pretty bases going to hell already had a track record at the network. I mean, they were the, they were the sort of, uh, the, 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 you know, Paul McCartney and John Lennon of Adult Swim, they were like the big creators of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Squidbillies, you know, a lot of the, the stuff that was uh, the, 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 the rock base, the base of Adult Swim, that kind of twisted animation that they were doing. And uh, so here now they decided to do a live action show. I have no sense of their comedy, but they've written Satan a little bit like, I would say it's like if Gene Simmons died and went to hell. It's kind of like an aging metal rocker, you know, uh, who, let's say, just probably had like a cocaine overdose in maybe like the early 90s, um, just ends up as, you know, Satan. So it has uh, – the elements that were all there for this kind of guy that has like – he's a pansexual. Like he'll just screw anything in hell. He, he's, you know, constantly kind of boozy drunk. Um, he's belligerent. <laughs> he's, he's sadistic. So, I mean, it's got, you know, but then he's also like, as you begin to discover as you watch the show, he's also just the boss and he, he's a bit put upon. He's not quite, you know, the almighty, the, the, the dark overlord. He, he is, he's also, you know, the way we've also created him and pushed him, the way they've, the guys have written him, you know, vulnerable, uh, uh, you know, weak, put upon, um, you know, he, he, they like to use a word we've humanized him, uh, which is great because then it just makes because it's hard to do comedy when you've got one character that you know um doesn't die and can you know do whatever he wants through his black magic it's like you know sometimes <laughs> satan's magic just ain't working so um it just it creates situations that are great for you know a half a, a sitcom for the format so um anyways uh I, yeah so through the audition process and and um, and then I, I think I thought that Satan was going to look kind of like I look until I got flown down to Atlanta, uh, put in front of a makeup artist, and they spent a couple hours putting me together. And I looked in the mirror. And I was like, holy hell. I had no idea that it, it basically looked like the Muppets on acid. Uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, all of a sudden I look like a seven-foot drag queen. I mean, I'm, I'm spray-painted red. I've got long nails, uh, these high-heeled boots that really – are meant to look like hooves because I'm half man, half goat. And, and, uh, uh, you know, so and I, I have a giant leather cod piece. Um, so this, this whole look just kind of was, was astounding to me. Um, and I, I, I was like in love with it until of course, you know, we started shooting and I'm like, Holy shit. Now it's right. It's two hours in a makeup chair every morning. And then about an hour to get, uh, get out of it. So, 
Um, we've, we've, we've gotten better and faster at putting it on and taking it off, but, uh, it's still a lot of work. And, um, we also do a lot of green screen on that show, which if your listeners aren't familiar, just, you know, a big flat green sheet, uh, is what you act in front of. And then they create the world of hell in post-production they, that on that green screen, they can put whatever they want and it'll be three-dimensional and, uh, they can put hell, they can put New York city, they can put a mountainscape. Um, whatever they want, and it looks really good. And uh, so yeah, there's a lot of elements that we as actors hate. So, I mean, all my Juilliard training has been flushed down the toilet. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm, I'm a giant drag queen acting in front of nothing. Um, and, and I think you were talking earlier about, like, also, like, when there's nothing there. I mean, I've also had scenes with whole characters that they're going to build in post-production that no, nothing's there. I'm just staring at a, a dot on the green wall. Wow. Where they're going to put a giant, or going to put Cerberus, the three-headed monster dog of uh, of Hades, or you know, so um, so many elements to try to, to to fight against to be, and then and then on top of that, it's like, oh, and be funny. Don't forget to be funny, you know. And I always say this show, for all of its silliness, and it, it is one of the hardest things I've ever done because, and there's also a lot of improv involved too. It's like, oh, be funny, and don't forget to improv. You can improv, and I'm like. Oh my God! There, there are so many elements to the show <laughs> that are the antithesis of an episode of Law and Order. But I always say, but that's why I love that show. I call it like acting sorbet. It's like something to eat between courses of procedural dramas, where you just get to clean the palate, you know, just go go back in there and have you know chew the scenery, be ridiculous. And so then when they call me to come do, you know, another episode of of a network procedural drama. I'm excited to get back in the saddle and have have all my lines written for me to just have to put on a suit, you know, say a line like, no, I didn't. I didn't see her come in the bar. Oh, and yes, I did. And she left with that guy. Um, you know, so it's it's uh, it's really, truly been. Um, to, <laughs> I love that a show about hell has become a hashtag blessed uh, moment. For me. <laughs> um, it, it really is. So I want to know um, I was watching kind of like a best of compilation um, of Satan from that, from your show. Um, how, I mean, I know your Juilliard training comes into a, an effect a lot in that, but how do you not bust out laughing constantly? <laughs> that's a good question. Cause I couldn't, <laughs> I'll tell you it's there, there is, I mean, that's, it's, it's actually, that's also part of the other, you know, of yet another thing to push against is like not breaking because, uh, Henry Zabrowski who plays the lead, who plays Gary, um, is, Hysterical. I mean, he's the king of king of comedy and the king of improv. So I am just basically kind of following his lead whenever we're on set together. So um, and yeah, I mean, he truly gets me. And there have been moments that are are just I will never forget. You know, I thought there was one moment um, I was off camera. I was just watching this. So the director, this was in season. I think it was season. It was season three. Uh, we have an alien. We have an alien gets killed on Earth. In some sort of thing, but the alien ends up in hell because the alien was a bad alien. So the alien comes down to hell. So at one point, Gary is trying to get the alien back up to Earth so he can help the alien um, uh, regenerate itself and go back with the mothership back to its planet. Some crazy storyline like that. And so he decides to hide the alien who's uh, being played by a little person in uh, an alien costume, which is very hot, made out of rubber. Uh, and Gary hides the alien in a copier, in the bottom of a copy, like a copying machine. <laughs> he rips the guts out of it and sticks the alien in it. And and then he goes to the elevator, which is the, um, the hell gate, we call it. It's an elevator that goes up to Earth. And there's a guy that guards the, 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 the elevator. Well, Ben Blanton, who's been on Walking Dead, a lot of fans know Ben. Ben is sitting, he's the guard, he's like the security guard for the elevator. He's just sitting looking at a computer jerking off. Yeah. Um, and Henry walks up. We've actually got the actor. We've got the actor inside the copying machine who is dying, literally dying of heat inside the copier. Henry's improving. He keeps pressing the elevator button and the elevator's not coming. And the director just keeps telling Ben, yeah, keep jerking off harder, jerk off harder. And I'm, the alien sticking his head out like, what the hell is going on? And Henry's improving. I couldn't breathe. I, I'm ruining takes. I'm, I'm off camera. I'm not even in the scene. <laughs> the image... The image of the whole thing, I'm sitting there thinking, I, I've been in productions of Othello. I, I, I've played King Lear. Like, what what the hell am I watching right now? <laughs> Walking dead, jerking off, uh, while Henry, and then this poor guy in the alien outfit, and we're waiting for the elevator doors to open. I mean, 
it's just insane. And that's just like Tuesday, you know. Yeah, they'd have just, to be daily occurrences if you're working with Adult Swim. I can't imagine anything less. Yeah, it, 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 it's a labor of love. And um, believe me, it is it, every day is is different and there's nothing, nothing that's normal about it. And what's fun now is we've been on long enough that we're starting to get some cameos this for season four. We have some uh, some fun cameos. We've got uh, George Went from Cheers, Norm, oh, boy. John Amos, John, old John Amos from uh, Good Times. And, and John's been around forever from uh, Coming to America. Right. Um, uh, who else? Oh, Dustin Diamond. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, Diamond playing himself. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we've we really, it's it's been a blast. And so it's, it, you know, you, you get to your fourth season, you can start pulling in some cameos. And then also, you know, people that you think are probably in hell start appearing. You know, we start kind of getting real life people that have died that you're like, oh, that person so, was so awful. I bet they ended up in hell. It's like, oh, and next week on coming, your pretty face is going to hell. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're having a blast. We're hoping to just, you know, keep going beyond season four. But we're, it, it is, uh, though I've also said maybe hell is a show set in hell that never gets canceled. Um, you because know, it's like, mm. be careful what you wish for. It's like by season, you know, 27 of wearing that makeup and I've just aged and it looks awful, you know, <laughs> uh, it's like the tat, the tattoo that you got when you were 22 and now you're, yeah. yeah. Oh God, look at that. Now yeah. it's just a blob. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, thrilled with the uh, the guest star list for this season. You, the ones you have already mentioned, you know, but I challenge anyone to find the names Dustin Diamond, Joy Fatone, and George Wim Sentence again. Yes. Anywhere else. I mean, well, that's and, amazing. And, and we also, I, I, I'm trying to get the chef. We had a famous chef on, and then we had somebody that was uh, that wrote for Monty Python uh, came on. I can't, oh, can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Tony... Ah, famous, famous English comic, uh, who was one of the Python guys that only did the writing was never on camera really with them. But I would just, just really, like I said, you know, and because we don't ask a lot, you know, these episodes are quick. I've already sort of reached out to friends within the industry that are well known to say, would you come down and play with us in Atlanta for a day or two? And we'll paint you red and you'll get some crazy storyline. And everybody's like, I'm in, I'm in, you know, we'll pay you scale. Nobody's going to get rich, but we just have a blast. And, you know, so speaking of the red paint. Do you guys have yeah. to be careful what you touch? There's a lot of fingerprints going around. Like it rubs off. Yeah. Or like- you know what? The, the first season, uh, we didn't have showers at the studio, so we had to kind of just basically do wipe off a little bit, and then we'd go back to the hotel mm. in Atlanta and rinse there. And it just didn't occur to me until about day three or four that the maid must think I am murdering hookers <laughs> <laughs> and then dumping their bodies down the garbage chute because – I, I looked at my all my white towels were red. My sheets were red and pink. There was a ring of red in my shower. Uh, and I and I thought, what, what do they think I'm doing in here every night? So I just started. I, she never I spoke very little English. I just started leaving 20s on my pillow every day, just saying, like, thank you. you know, <laughs> Hush like, money. Yeah, really. yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, so it, it was uh, it, we'd, we'd also go out to dinner. <laughs> forgetting kind of what we look like because even this makeup even when you've cleaned yourself and everything you don't get it all i mean i would say like if we could just wear it for two months when we're shooting we would just keep it on but you try to clean yourself up and we go out and we look like i'm not kidding we just look like some sad drag queens because like we've got this black eyeliner that's all smeared down our face i've still got my like the glue from my long nails uh on my hands um, you know, we've got glue and sticky stuff in our hair and yeah, we just look like we just peeled everything off and came out for a late night, you know, dinner. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the, that stuff, I, 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 sweat pink for weeks after the show's over. Oh my. I had heard, uh, Rebecca Romaine Stamos, uh, when the, she started doing those X-Men movie years, years ago, yeah. you know, after all the blue paints, I know her situation was a bit more severe than yours, but she would say that. Uh, after you know every day filming, she'd get, go home. Like when she'd go to the bathroom, there'd be blue. Like mm. if she'd cough, yeah. up would come blue. Do you have anything <laughs> like that happening with the red paint? Well, you know, we also did a whole episode. We actually did an episode. I'm trying to think if it was. I think it was season three, uh, where we actually played ourselves getting our makeup off. There was just a little moment at the end uh, of the episode, but because did you? What's really cool? Actually, we've all kind of embraced it. 
you could digitize this makeup now. That's the crazy thing with what's happening with technology. It's like you could absolutely turn everybody in the show red without one right. bit of makeup. You just put some blue dots on people's faces so that when they get to post-production, they know where to center it. And you could turn anybody whatever color you want. Um, and we've talked about it. The directors talked about it. But there is something about the practical makeup. That also we get helps us get in the character. It's kind of the it's also the essence of the show, um, and and I feel like we we it, the look of it is also so we've just you know we've I think they've, the producers have looked at it both ways. It just looks there's texture to it, there's depth to it when you have real makeup. I think it would just look a little flat if it was layered on in post production. It wouldn't shade correctly. It wouldn't have that kind of um, there's just a color that comes out. Uh, when the makeup goes on your skin, that really uh, it, it's so natural and rich. And there, it's a, believe it or not, it's all made. The makeup we really got them to use like all natural, so it's made with. I'm not even kidding, like shrimp carcasses or something. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's, it's some like you look at the ingredients, and it's basically made with like krill or something. It's it's you know. Wow. Um, yeah, because we were like we we just wear too much of it. If it's if it's made with like red food dye, you know it 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 would. We'd probably all be dead by now, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, because you're they're putting layers of that on every day and then retouching it all day long. I mean, we keep getting more layers sprayed on all day long because you want your body wants to naturally sweat it off. And of course, we for some reason we always tend to shoot in Atlanta during the summer. Um, and <laughs> oh, is, isn't there soundstage air conditioning? I'm like, yeah, but most people that know in the business they turn air conditioners off when you're shooting uh, for sound reasons. So a lot of times the air conditioner can be off for half an hour at a time. And believe me, a soundstage with a beating sun when it's 100 degrees outside gets hot so fast, especially when you're half man, half goat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And those, those horns, I'm sweating underneath. That's, again, glued to my head with like super glue, the horns. So I'm sweating underneath that and you want to scratch. And you can't because you can't get up under your skin, under underneath the rubber. Uh, so, you know, as I said, it's, there's days when I'm like, Oh, I love it. And then there's days like, God, I gotta get a, I gotta get a cop roll again. I just gotta get back to a <laughs> game. God, There would be no show without you though. That's for sure. That's for yeah, sure. Well, yeah. Thank you. We did. And then, yeah, please. If you've, if you've never seen this thing, give it a look. This season four is also by far and away the best the, the writing is so good this year. And I just, I've seen like four out of the 12 new episodes and I think they're all like, you know, so good this year. The writing, the, the characters, like I just feel like Dave and Chris, after a little bit of trial and error in regards to sort of finding the voice of the show, not not that it's sort of like deep, but it's like they also, they struggled. We, we wanted to write a traditional sitcom format, which is 22 minutes of content with eight minutes of commercial. So you get a half an hour. Uh, the network, Adult Swim, just doesn't really do traditional half hour. They do 12 to 15 minute episodes with a little bit of commercial time and then more. So you, you don't have any commercials during your show, but your shows are short They're you know, and so we always, because of the improv have so much content. I've always said, I wish we had, you know, which we've never done. And I've suggested that there should be like, Hey, after the show, go to adultswim.com and watch the outtakes because there are hysterical things that just don't make the cut. Cause we don't, we, the show is so quick and there is no B storyline. There is only the A storyline, and it barrels ahead for 12 minutes. You know, so there's there's so much stuff that just doesn't get in. Right. And uh, we've we've always wanted to kind of, and they did it back. Of course, the first two seasons were available on DVD, and they did put some outtakes in the DVDs. But everybody stopped making DVDs. You know, they, nobody's buying them. So now I said that is the one thing that gets lost. Even Sopranos. When they came out with the box set, they had a couple of DVDs at the end that had deleted scenes. And I've talked about those because I said, if you ever get a chance, maybe somebody put them up on YouTube. There's a couple of deleted scenes. There's a great one with Big Pussy that's just great. It's one of the best scenes Vinnie Pastor, who played Pussy, ever did. And they cut it because it made no sense in the story. And I get why they cut it, but, man, it was great. It's just great. So, right. One quick question, and this is a yeah. possible spoiler, if you don't mind. So regarding the Darren Farley switch... Uh-huh. How soon did you know, did you know, like going into that right off the bat from season one that they were going to do that? Or was that just kind of like something that happened one day? You know, there was just this suggestion at one point. Um, I, I, it was never said to me that that was never spoken uh, to me in the beginning. They're just I, I thought I heard something maybe while we were shooting season one that it would be funny if we find out 
you know, I think Dave Willis, one of the, the writer creators, uh, said something like, wouldn't it be funny if we find out he's actually not even Satan, that maybe hell is just, maybe everybody's in hell, even Satan, like that they're just one part of hell, that maybe hell is just this never ending, you know, the way that the universe just doesn't end. It's like there's just pockets of awfulness that go on forever. And you are just Satan in this one part of hell. And maybe you know it, but you've never divulged it to anyone else because you have to go to meetings. And so he started pitching this whole thing. and I'm like, well, that just sounds awful. Um, and then eventually uh, they got more serious about it. And all of a sudden a script showed up and I was and I loved it because, like I said, I just always wanted to be able to make him. And I love it because it's a little bit of like him trying to keep a secret because they it's it's great because it's the it's the Wizard of Oz. It's like, right. don't look at the behind the curtain, you know. So every once in a while, they all figure out that I'm not really Satan. But of course, I the one it's like men in black. I have the ability to erase their memories. So I <laughs> whether I think in one episode I stuck a chopstick up somebody's nose and like skewered their brain. So that they didn't remember that I wasn't Satan. Um, uh, so that reboot that seems to happen on the show—it's fun. We, we even it, it shows up in moments, even in season four, where there's moments where you know somebody will say something suggesting that maybe I'm not Satan, and I'm like, "What? What? Wait a minute, what did you say? Why? Hey, so, you know." So it, it, it's a joke that hasn't gotten old, and we've maybe only scratched the surface because I'm always saying I've made suggestions based on that for other storylines and for other characters to come on, whether me trying to hide those characters, whether it could be my boss, an overlord, uh, a co-worker of Satan's or, or quote, Darren's uh, that would, you know, um, show up and act like, wait a minute, they don't know that you're not really Satan. Like, shut up. Don't you tell them, you know, sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it, 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 that's the beauty of that stuff is like it could go on forever. There's so many possibilities. So I love that that, you know, their, their writing is so twisted and so layered. I actually tried writing a couple of episodes and I realized it's like, yeah, they're writing. It's like it goes up to logical and then it just takes a left. And I'm, incapable, <laughs> I'm capable of that left turn. I kept like writing these very kind of linear storylines and I, I like finally realized like, yeah, there's nothing. They, they don't. They, that's what's great with Dave and Chris, the creators, the, whether it's casting, writing. They don't like obvious choices, so they will go right to the obvious choice and make a right or left, whether it's with a choice for you know an actor. To, like, I'll make a suggestion, like, this guy would be perfect for this role, and they'd be like, you're right. That's exactly why we're not going to cast him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not be obvious. Let's find, like, maybe let's find that character, but with just a little bit of a twist on it, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I finally understand a little bit of their mindset. So I think what they're saying is that's great, Matt. Go smoke some dope and try writing the script again. So uh, <laughs> just, just shuffle it. Just take the whole thing, shuffle the deck, and then write it. You know, that'd be interesting. I'd, I'd read the hell out of it, or I'd watch the hell out of it. for good TV. Yeah. <laughs> it would be good, I'm sure. Yeah. So uh, aside from season four here of Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, what can we expect out of you next? Well, I'm, I'm in a weird place. I'm in the, the, I have two season fours airing. Uh, my recurring on Billions, uh, which we just finished shooting not that long ago, uh, earlier in 2019. Uh, so that's airing right now, and they're still early in the season, and there's more to come for my character. And then season four of Your Pretty Face is airing. Uh, starting May 3rd. I just got back from Atlanta. I, I, they uh, talk about the inmates running the asylum. They let me direct an episode of uh, Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. So I just got back from Atlanta. I just put the finishing touches on that, um, which was, it's, again, like I said, let me add yet another layer that makes the, the whole experience crazy because I was directing in all that, you know, I'm sitting off camera in all that makeup. I mean, everybody loved taking pictures of me, like looking through the lens, like a director, you know, dressed like Satan. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I just got back from doing that. And that was a blast. I think directing is something, you know, I, I, for 30 years, I've been uh, in front of the camera, but I'm, I'm not one of those actors. It's like, oh, but I really want to direct. But I, I just enjoy it. I, and I enjoy the process. And I'm realizing like, you know, that I'm not as vain maybe as I used to be. I really, I, I just like being a part of the creative process. And on a show like that, to sit in Video Village and just laugh your head off and not have to be, in, you know, the pressure of being in front of the camera is awesome. You know, I think at this point I would love to be, you know, uh, uh, kind of make the, the migration over to the other side of the camera. But I'm also in getting involved in producing as well, which is uh, its own, you know, um, 
I guess that's maybe a punishment for all the years of just being an actor. It's like you, you take for granted all the people that get everything made. And, um, right. I, you know, I just I know so many people. I've worked with so many great people. And you get to a certain point in your career and all you want to do is work with those people again and again and again. And you realize the only way to make that happen is for yourself to make it happen because the business wants us all to go in different directions. So um, I thought, all right, fine, then I'll start finding the scripts. I'll start bringing these people together and uh, raising the money. And so that's kind of become a full-time gig at the moment. Um, and I'm sure it will be until my wife says, you're not making any money, get back out there. <laughs> <laughs> so I may be producing uh, next time we speak, or I may have, that may have lasted one more week after today. So, uh, <laughs> we'll, see. Yeah. well, man, this has been amazing. And I uh, do assure you, once I do get the Sopranos under my belt, we'll be uh, having another interview if you're up for it. Cause that would, I, I would love to pick your brain after watching the show. <laughs> You know what? You know what's so funny? I may join you because I, my wife and I said when they were rerunning the episodes on it, you know, there was sort of a, a marathon on HBO uh, a month ago when the you know 20th anniversary was happening, and we caught I don't know a half a dozen episodes that we we watched, and I said we're there's nothing on our you know I mean yes we have a queue on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, all that stuff, but I said like nothing that we're really excited about. I said let's go back, let's just go back and watch a show. Like I got all jazzed, so we kind of entertained that idea. So uh, maybe when we come back around, I will be uh, back up to speed because I'm also like people are referencing episodes to me, and I got to be honest, some of it I haven't seen in 15 years. So I right. you know they're like oh yeah remember that episode and these are fanatics people that wa that have watched the series like six times you know there's a fan page um i can't remember what it's called on facebook that has fifty thousand members a hundred thousand members they are amazing these are people that have seen the show backwards forwards you know if you drop a people they'll do sopranos trivia you can just put like one line and then people have to name the season the episode and who said it and they can do it so it's incredible. <laughs> so when these people come up to me and start talking about you know episode three of season five and this and that i'm like I have no idea where we're at right now. Like you're talking about, you know, I've got it. So I, I, I think maybe I'll do a refresher course and uh, let's uh, let's reconnoiter, uh, you know, somewhere down the line. I am definitely down for that. That'll be a lot of fun. Let's cool. do that. Good. Matt, congratulations on season four of your pretty face. And I uh, can't wait to see more of you, man. Thank you so much. Jack, Randy, Jeremy, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Have a great night. Yeah, you, you too, sir. man. Thank, Thank you. you. And that was our interview with Matt Servito. Again, what a great guy he was. I cannot wait to hopefully get him back on in the future after we've all binge-watched The Sopranos. Yeah, really. he was another guy from Michigan. Just like was <laughs> yeah. Ernie Hudson. Was. Yeah. I wonder if they were neighbors. Didn't um, um, uh, Kerry Means say that's where he came from as well? He said Minnesota, I think. Minnesota. Yeah. I know he had been all... Up in the cold, so... Okay, okay. yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> We've, I, there's been someone else we've had on uh, a few different people from Michigan. A lot of talent comes out of Michigan. Serious, wow. yeah. Something in the water. Firefighter comic guy. Oh, Brian Lau. Yeah. Yep. Brian Lau. Prime <laughs> example. But again, don't forget to set your DVRs May 3rd at midnight for season four premiere of Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. And uh, is there anything else, gentlemen, before we move on? I think that's it. Jack, then, what do we have on the website? Go to cannedairpodcast.com where you can check out our special guests, listen to the show, follow us on all our social media, check out our YouTube page, find some merch, become a patron, and visit the Hall of Heroes, see the Wall of Justice. There it is. Lots of goodies to do on there, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon page. <laughs> check out the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash cannedairpod. Again, $5 a month gets you access to our Patreon-only show. And don't forget to check out our other show, What If. Uh, you can be found at whatifpod.com. We're on Twitter at whatifseries and on Instagram at whatifpdcst. But it's our other show where each episode we offer a twist on reality. Uh, last episode we did exactly was it. what if Bigfoot had been discovered. And then we spend about 45 minutes looking at the butterfly effect uh, across the world of, of that event. You know, what if we could control the weather? Weather. What if we could breathe underwater? Mm. What if we could raise the dead? All topics we've talked about on the show. So uh, go check it out again at What If Pod, or you can find us on your podcast player of choice. Uh, we are the one with the yellow text and the blue background because there are more than one What If Pod out there, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, what else we got, guys? Anything before we move on? I think that's it for this week. I think that about does it. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Randy Hardenbrook. Thanks for listening, everyone. Oh,
load of other things I've been insane Since the blues walked in a town But you want it and get mad Cause you got that shotgun shot And shake my body Bone in the red sound With a blue moon in your eyes Yeah From outside. Blowtorch! Whenever there's a fire in your house, be sure to get outside immediately. And once outside, get on CandarePodcast.com. Well, thanks for the tip, Blowtorch, but just one question. What about the fire? And no one is half the battle. G.I. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.